I'm Mohawk Matt, and this is By Hair, Land, and Sea, where we will bridge the gap and have conversations that need to happen. After spending 13 years, both as an active duty Marine and then a Navy civilian, I am now on a mission to serve our nation by providing a megaphone for the right people at the right time. Join me and my guests as we remove barriers so that you can do what you do best. Be awesome. See you in the trenches. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to By Hair, Land, and Sea. Yes, you heard it right. The Mohawk is back to podcasting, and today I have a fantastic guest who is a good friend of mine. We've worked together off and on for the last few years, and also, fun fact, knows more about movies than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. That's not why he's here. We might talk about that, too, because you never know, but we're going to have a great conversation today with a guy named Kevin Burnett. And Kevin is currently the chief digital officer at Definitive Logic. He's been in and out of the, he's been, actually he's out now for the last 20 years. He's been in the federal government space, all things digital cloud. He probably knows where the real cloud is. If you're ever looking for it, he's probably the guy. So Kevin, what's going on? What's happening, Matt? Good to hear your voice. If I could see you, um, I'm sure I'd appreciate the Mohawk just as much as I always have. <laughs> I, I think you could rock the Mohawk, don't you? Like, do some, I, like, I don't chia- have the technology. I, I don't have it. They got chia seed, man. Chia pet. <laughs> I get a tattoo. One of those special dotted tattoos. Ooh, there you go. Our friend Hondo Gertz, a couple years ago, he saw my hair thinning. He was like, oh, you need to start 3D printing some models just in case. Oh, you're sitting on a gold mine, man. There you go. Yeah. You do product line for you. Ooh, that's a good idea. I like that. So you've been up to a lot of things that we met, what, three, three years ago, I think. Yeah. It's right when we were starting Naval X up, it was becoming its own thing rather than just talking about it. We were in there at the beginning, trying to get to the various lines of effort rolling. Uh, that was an exciting time. That was a lot of fun. It was pre COVID too. So it was great. We got to be in person. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this a lot. I, that Naval X experience really shaped my career after Naval X. I, I just, I was struggling at the time in terms of where I wanted to go in my career. And so luckily I had leadership at uh, POMLB who was willing to, you know, let me go for a year and do that rotation. And I, I, I learned so much about how to engage with humans that I, <laughs> I, I'm an introvert complete total introvert. And so the thought of, for example, doing a podcast three years ago would be completely foreign to me. I wouldn't be able to, to do it, frankly. And so uh, being able to talk to all those people at Naval X, see, seeing how you operate and how you engage with the, the community, that showed me that there's really nothing to be afraid of, just be yourself. And that's what I've embraced over the last two or three years here. Yeah, it's been awesome to kind of see where we were both gone. Because hey, I agree in the same fact. For me, Naval X really launched me in a very different direction than I was planning. And yeah, I, re- I remember, like you know, we were we had a lot of good talks about like user experience and human centered design. Yeah, and you, that was your go to was uh, designing joyful experiences for users, the connection of users and, and IT. And, and you're absolutely right. Now that I think about it, it's like, wow, how did he end up at its mobile map? <laughs> He was doing like wireframes and graphical mockups and stuff. You were doing a lot of stuff with uh, agile project planning tools. You were uh, a Jira wizard. And then all of a sudden you started, you know, showing that Mohawk and that became a brand and crushing it ever since. Yeah. It just, 
I found a gap. I think mainly I kept saying like, we're doing this wrong. And so all good volunteer opportunities, that's how it happened. Uh, we can't actually talk like that because of my old experience from the Marine Corps and, and Navy public relations and stuff. And, but for me, it was just the adventure of just going to try something new. And I think that's what we got to experience is, is coming up together through Naval X is that whatever you wanted to try, you could try and you had your day job you had to do, but yeah, definitely not on the path I was on when we first met. And now this is, I think my fourth podcast I've launched and doing all kinds of stuff. I just, if I could like, I just, I think it was Jonas Lazo who put my face on the side of a van and said, just right, get yeah. a mobile podcast studio and go travel the world, which we're about to do. So I think it's just all coming full circle, I guess. Yeah. The one thing in particular that's of interest to me is the connection between, I, I guess I would consider it more modern ways of more natural ways, I should say, of communicating with people than I experienced during my career in, in government. It, and it, it always, I like to think back to, you know, how many, you know, memos or DOD instructions <laughs> and things I've read like that and how unbelievably boring they are to consume to the point where you're probably not even effectively consuming the real intent of them. And then you see one that's written like in the, the secretary Gertz or Dr. Roper style, Paul Puckett's a good example of somebody who does that. We did it with our uh, removing impediments to innovation. You, you, the, the writing should be inspiring. And, and I realized that's just, you know, one small example, but it goes back to how we engage with industry as well, how we communicate our, our capability needs and there needs to be almost a more natural way of interacting with other humans. It goes back to humans talking to humans and we just, the government just seems to be very robotic about it. And that's, what's refreshing about Ohawk Matt and the notion of applying humor into your day-to-day -day engagements. You know, that, that's a culture thing or something that, you know, I don't, I think a lot of industry has embraced that and they've normalized that behavior, but the government, I don't know, we, we dabble in it here and there. Well, I won't say what organization said this, but after I left the government, I may have heard through the grapevine, someone saying, okay, now that, now that Matt's gone, we need to get more serious. Like the Navy's serious business. We can't be having so much fun. And that's what I want to go into with you is that culture piece that seems very stifling that for, for one of your last roles, you spent a lot of time trying to empower that culture change and not just for change sake, but um, doing it for the people. For sure. Yeah. I think. We were always said, you know, people, everything revolves around people and the way government operates, it's overly bureaucratic. And I realized there's some reason for some of that, but we need to inspire younger generations to join public service. And there are various levers you have to drive that, you know, commitment and purpose is a very big one. Obviously a calling to, you know, be a public servant, support the, the United States. I, I personally, I don't see that as, as powerful as it will today, as it was for me 20 years ago, when I joined the government, and if we're overly reliant on the purpose lever at the expense of, we can't necessarily, especially in the IT world, compete on the, the compensation level with industry, we damn well better get the culture side of it. Right. And you talk about the pandemic and everyone's, you know, shifted to remote work. I hear lots of examples now of government organizations saying, all right, everyone back into the office. And I'm thinking, okay, you're going to 
lose your best and brightest talent. They're going to leave. And that's kind of what I'm seeing happening. I happen to leave at the same time. And, and that was more driven by my desire to just try industry. I've just done ever my whole career. And I hit the 20 year mark and I was like, oh, now is probably the best time for me. I feel like I'm in the, in the prime of my career. I, I want to experience industry and then, you know, perhaps come back to government later. But I think you have a lot of young people who join the government and it, it's almost like we're, we're driving them away with some of the cultural things that, that we do. And it's showing that we're hemorrhaging talent in a, in a lot of places. And I feel like that's an area where we've got to really revisit. There's been a lot of good traffic on LinkedIn about chief people officers, chief culture officers. I have to think that's 100% necessary in government organization. We don't take that nearly seriously enough. And the result will be people are going to leave. Yeah. And it's the traditional HR structure. Like the only time, the closest thing to anyone that dealt with people was always like human resources, but you only went to human resources if you got in trouble or if you needed like to quit. And so it, there was, it wasn't even empowered to go talk about career path or how you could change or other options. Cause it was like out of fear. And I really love your point on LinkedIn. Cause like right now. I feel like every day there's five to 10 new positions, so-and-so new position, new position. And they're just going to where they can be happy. And I think a lot of that changed with COVID, like you said. I think it put people in perspective, like what actually matters and what's important to the human, not to the organization. And it's given people like, oh, maybe I don't have to or want to work every single day in the office. Yeah. And like part of the justification I've seen for people coming back to the office is, well, we got to know what they're up to. And it's like, then you've got a serious hiring problem. If you don't, if you're not trusting your people to do work to the point where you need to physically see them in a cubicle doing work, well, okay, then there's, that's a problem in, in and of itself. And if, if you don't, you know, trust them to do work on their own at home, are you really going to sit there and watch them do work in the office? If you really believe they're not going to do work at home, then they're probably not going to be working in the office either. I don't really understand what they're trying to solve with that. And that's been a frustration I've had for some time. But yeah, the, the culture thing, I, I think like we've really missed the mark. I think there's a lot of, I'm hopeful in seeing a, a change. And I think a lot of that change hopefully comes. Hopefully it doesn't get stifled, like you said, and people just leave. Because the people that leave are the ones that are probably going to make that change happen. And so it's, it's interesting to just to see how it all is playing out now, how it all will play out. I think I, for my own experience, I did not, I hated telework because I'm such an extrovert. So opposite of your introvert side, like I need people to fuel. Like when we first went lockdown, I got super depressed and that's actually where Mohawk Matt went crazy is because I just sat and made videos all day because it was a way for me to interact with the world. It didn't, for me, it didn't flip until I realized working from home gave me more freedom to live my life. I was so in, ingrained in like work and then some play here, some play there, a vacation here, vacation there, where now it's completely flipped. Now it's, oh, I'm not the punch in, punch out like clockwise where I've got to be done, but I am very aware of my time now and very like respectful of my own time. I don't need to burn myself out. I'm going to go have some fun, do this, do that, make these shows do other things that contribute that will make me happier when I am working. I like to think of it from the consumer side of that. It's, you know, we tend to measure things based on attributes that at the end of the day, don't connect to outcomes, number of hours worked, number of, you know, pages written in a document, 
And you can work a hundred hours in a week and not produce anything. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Not deliver an outcome. And so that's where it goes back to tying performance to outcomes, not based on the number of hours you're working, where you're physically working those hours. That's the empowerment side of, of, of culture that I think industries come a long way on and the government's really far behind on. And that's where I just wish we would pay more in government. We paid more attention to that. bring people in, bring these well-respected companies that have made a brand, a name for themselves because of their culture and to not talk about their products, but to talk about how they implemented that culture. How did they change it? We just, I feel like we always, you know, think we know the answer to everything. That's something that you were spending some time on before you, you've taken your new path. So I want to ask you, what are, whether it's related to like hours works or the whole workspace relationship. How, what are ways that you were helping change the culture you were in there in the government or even now in the environment you're in now? Yeah, I can't tell you how much I learned just from the interviewing process with, with industry. There's so many more things I knowing what I know now that I would have applied to government. I, you know, I, and I hope to have these engagements with the government now that I'm on the other side, but yeah, while I was at PMLB, one thing I noticed is in government is we write a lot of strategies, strategic plans, visions, th things like that, but they become shelfware. You write them. Some people might read them. We've had each other on the back for having produced, and then nobody pays attention to it for the, the four year period that it covers. And so in MLB, we, we took a tact. Okay. Let's focus on a couple things. One is outcomes. And so you have goals for the organization that are tied to objectives. The objectives need to be measurable. And we did that in the context of key performance indicators to know whether we're going in the right direction or not. And those are all driven to outcomes, whether they be outcomes internally or for customers, there's a variety of them. And what we started to do was tie those key performance indicators to people's performance plans. And that becomes the, the carrot for actually assuming and carrying through on those particular objectives that, that was starting to be very effective. The, the other angle was about the values, the organizational values. And th there were, we had, I think seven values for PMLB and, and every organization has their own values, but a lot of them come back to collaborating, open building trust, customer first mentality. Take a look at Atlassian's values. So they do a really good job with how they characterize their five core values. And I'm not going to go into the, you go to their, their website and check them out, but there's no ambiguity you know, about what they prioritize for, for their, their work. And the key for me is how do you tie those values that you want to translate into behaviors for your culture, for your organization into being able to become practitioners of them. And so at PLMLB, what we did was we had a removing impediments to culture memo that highlighted major muscle movements we wanted to embark on that would empower the workforce. And so that was a major value of the organization was respecting people and letting them control their own destiny. We started running innovation days. We had a first one late last year. Noelle Schatz over there at MLB, she's crushing it. She's running a new one coming up here in April. But those innovation days were all about empowering the workforce. Give them a period of time with complete and total autonomy such that they can work on what is of particular interest to them. And those are the types of things that are, are really shocks to the government workforce. And that's what I feel like you need to do is shock the system is the first questions we got for our first innovation day is, okay, it's a 24 hour period starts now, have at it. And then there's a long pause and they're like, okay, what do I do? 
It's like, well, well okay. All right. Well, I understand now. I, I have empathy for your situation because I've been a government employee for 20 years. I realized that you've probably never been given complete autonomy for a day to work on whatever you want. And so there's a little bit of handholding, but what the results is they run through this event and at the end, they come out with a variety of cool ideas. They've partnered with other people in their groups or in other portfolios that they never worked with before. They've had an opportunity to spend an extended period of time, albeit all right in that same 24 hour period. And then they had an opportunity to pitch their idea to senior executives and get direct feedback, which is an experience they probably never had before either. And so that goes back to the behavior side of it is like, you, you can write values down, but how do you help people become practitioners of applying those values? And it's by having them exercise, you know, practice makes perfect. And so that's where I think the government falls short is we, we do a really good job of writing stuff down, but we, we fall short of helping people practice what we write. Yeah, I think that's really critical, especially the point points about guiding people to something that they've never experienced. We can like judge and mock and say, but if you don't know, you don't know. You don't know. That's what I'm going through now in my own experience on the outside of the fence is I'm uh, one of my clients I'm working with is they're like, give me a laptop and these things. I was like, like, okay, just, we'll just let us know. We'll see you in whenever. I'm like, what do you mean? See you whenever. I'm like, yeah, just make sure you fill out your time card, do your job and let us know what you need. I was like, uh, what? Like that. Right. Is, so I love the concept of showing people and helping people. I think that's what's missing is to like, cause, cause you see that too. You see the organizations, whether they're government or not, just as they change to this culture shift that's happening across the world, or at least the Western culture, they expect just to turn it on. They expect to just say, here we go. And then, but then there is no like transition plan to like something that they've never had before. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about that at, um, at my, my company now, Definitive Logic, about change management. It's a, again, you write something down, you hand it to people, and you, you just expect it to be consumed and absorbed and practiced. And that's not how it works ever. And I think, you know, I, I had an opportunity to, to do a rotation at Naval X for a year. And I, I mentioned going into that, I had one particular mentality coming out of it. I had a different but that took me a, a year of exposure to those different people and those different practices to become a practitioner of it. And here we are just handing people a vision or a strategic plan document or guiding principles and just being like, all right, you guys good? And they're not. You, you do need to have empathy for people who, who haven't experienced that type of transition, especially from a, a culture perspective. And they're going to have questions. They're going to you know, make mistakes, you know, just like we did going through it and they'll, they'll learn from that. But yeah, we can't underestimate the importance of helping that transition from being trained in something by reading a document or, or something like it's, it. Yeah. It's the same with adopting new technical skills. Yeah. The difference between being trained and being a practitioner and you become a practitioner of something by practicing it. I think that applies to culture as well. I agree 100%. And you talk about uh, making mistakes and practice. It's, and earlier you talked about the performance plans. Um, a lot of my, one of my performance plans, like I got in trouble because I was making too many mistakes. I didn't know how to do it. And that's, I think that in order for this to ch really make impact and change culture, we've got to start allowing room for mistakes. We've got to start allowing room for practice. 
like without affecting their pay or their job or their, they, hey, no, you have this much percentage to go and fail. And then, okay, eventually at some point, maybe you need some help. But I don't think we're giving, I, I don't know if you've seen that, but I haven't seen many people across the government space give much room for failure or practice. No, yeah, and that, that's a trickle-down problem too. It's we, We're so hierarchical in, in how we execute. And that's another soapbox I'm happy to get on is <laughs> delivering IT, being organized like we are in the, for example, Department of Navy and expecting to efficiently, effectively deliver IT. It's, it's, it's such a hierarchical structure. Can you point to a, a successful software development company that's organized Department of Defense service or organization? That's all I'll say about that. But you're right. The culture side of it is, I forgot what we were talking about. The room for mistakes and room for practice and fail and that kind of stuff. Oh, room for failure. Yeah. it's that, Just look at how we execute programs. We plan them several years in advance, especially in the IT world. How much does IT change over the course of three, four years that has a misalignment with how we appropriate money and ultimately deliver on a program or record. And we can't stray from the plan. That's, that's agility is being able to, you know, course correct. And our organizational structure for acquisition is, is counter to the, I think some organizations have navigated that a bit, like in the intelligence space, I think they've had some success being able to accept more risk and making investments here or there that are different from what they planned to do the year before. And I feel like we tried to do that in, in some of our acquisition programs on the IT side at the, the DOD, it, it would not end well for us. And that's the type of stuff that gets programs canceled, but you almost, you have to plan for the uncertainty to include the, the money necessary to invest someplace different than you had originally planned. So part of, we'll shift a little bit. Part of this whole, the culture and Brandon Smart, who we both know, you always threw in happiness is the most important metric. What, so pivoting a little bit to you, as I mentioned in the beginning, how do you recharge? How do you, because everything you're doing every day is a lot, whether it's government, your new job, there's a lot going on. How does Kevin recharge to make sure that you're staying happy and, and healthy and stuff? Wow, that's a good question. I, I mentioned my mentality changing pre-Naval X versus post-Naval X. I, I, I definitely have shifted and I'm not as much of an introvert as I used to be. Last night, I went to a Defense Entrepreneurs Forum event. It was called a Thinking Game, which is a cool concept. Depth, the Agora for Depth, DC and Norfolk 757 jointly put on this event. And it was cool because it was about artificial intelligence and Halo, the, the game Halo. And what was really refreshing for me was because of the connection between work and gaming, I was able to bring my oldest son with me and he, he got to see what I do, what I dabble in and see the connection to video games, a very video game that both he and I love. And, and that was really refreshing for me. That was inspiring to see his interest in artificial intelligence based on the connection to gaming be tied together. And, and I realized that's just one small example, but those are the types of interactions now that I thrive on. You know, that's why I joined Defense Entrepreneurs Forum as, as a volunteer is to, to seek out additional opportunities for that. That's fantastic. I, I absolutely love that. The, especially you were able to show your child a little bit of your world. I don't think that happens often. It doesn't happen in the government because there's no take your kid to work day. Right. <laughs> And so I, I think that's really cool. How did he embrace it all? Did he enjoy that? 
Yeah, it's, I, I was fearful that, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of job play that he didn't understand. But what was cool for me is he was inquisitive, inquisitive like on the ride home, he had lots of questions about, I don't understand what they were really meant by artificial intelligence and the connection between gaming. And then we had a gentleman there named Brian Drake, who gave a, a great talk about artificial intelligence, you know, as it relates to the commercial world and the connection to government. And so he, he had lots of pointed questions about help me understand artificial intelligence better. And I think he's only 14 years old. And so he's in eighth grade. And so for him to have that exposure, that's the type of, you know, carrot that we should be giving young folks is trying to make connections where historically we probably haven't realized they were there. Yeah. And I think you just hit something very critical and very important, that carrot and that connection to something they're interested in. Had you brought your son to talk about artificial intelligence without the gaming, without something that he could relate to, you're probably not going to have as much interaction conversation. I think that's what I've seen happen in, in any large organization. They try to like force, oh no, you will like this now. But like, right, yeah, he'd have been in the back snapping, Snapchatting or whatever those kids do today. No kids. <laughs> but instead he was in the front row, eagerly listening to the, the, the conversation and also dominating the other people who were there in Halo. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Halo's movie comes out too, I think soon. Yeah, they have a series. I think it started, uh, I think, actually, I think it started yesterday. Okay. That's cool. Is that still, like, so when we first met, you're super into movies. Is that still a thing? I am still super into movies. <laughs> and that's just because I've been trying to think through ways to, going back to the culture conversation, I, uh, whether I'm funny or not is debatable, but I like to try and be funny. And tying movies and movie quotes into everyday things we do in, in our work life, I, I think is a, that's an outlet for me personally. And I think it could be for other people as well. That's why I do that type of thing. Like I, we, within, I did this at POMLB and I do it with our, my, my new company, Definitive Logic. I send a, a weekly all hands teams message announcement. It's just called deep thoughts. And it's a play on the SNL stuff back in the nineties, uh, Jack Handy. And I just think that's a, a, you know, a fun, easy, simple way to just put a ridiculous quote out there without much context to give people a laugh and then get into some of the things happening in the organization that I see and then pointing people to learning resources. So that's a recurring theme. And it's funny, I've thrown kudos to, to people who I, I, I personally seen embracing our credo principles at Definitive Logic. Every once in a while, I'll get someone to send me a message just saying, I don't get the quote, like thinking it's like a real quote from like, <laughs> you know, a, a famous person. And so I've got to go back into the, you ever, you ever heard of the onion, which is fine. Not everyone was a child of the nineties the, the or eighties. Yeah. So they might not be familiar with Jack Handy, but uh, I'm going to keep them coming. Oh, good. That's awesome. And, and, and I think that's what, where I see success in organizations is when leaders embrace whatever is natural to them. In your case, it's that's something that you have a deep knowledge of and you can find a way to have some fun with it. In others' cases, they go on LinkedIn and put a song every day. And we know who we're talking about. There's yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's really cool to see that when leaders kind of tie their personal side of what they're interested in, and then it helps that culture, that bond start to deepen. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm still I'm seeking a new teammate who I can have full just movie quote conversations with like only uh, speaking movie quotes don't even say anything else yeah I, I ran into a few of those people in the government over the years 
haven't found one. Um, I haven't found one yet at Definitive Logic, but I'm working on it. I, I, I requested somebody to challenge me. <laughs> how, it, how it plays out. I caution whoever that person is. As we first met, I was like, oh, yeah, I know a lot of movies. I said, yeah, I got smoked by you every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, man. Oh, yeah, great times. Kevin, thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate you jumping on, talking about the culture, what you've seen, what you're trying to do in your own organizations now, and just sharing it with the world. Yeah, you bet. Uh, anytime. I'm, I'm only, I'm less than a month into my industry journey. I'd love to, you know, catch back up with you here in a couple months and see if my tune has changed at all. But but I'm, I'm having fun uh, at the moment and excited about the, the prospect of continuing to have that, you know, those culture angles with, with this particular company. That was what my search was all about in terms of leading the government was first and foremost was the organizational culture. That was my number one priority. That's awesome. I'm glad you found it and I hope it really works out the way you desire. And, uh, everyone else, thanks for listening. If you're still listening, uh, make sure you check out Kevin. Kevin, are you open to people reaching out to you on LinkedIn? Always. Those show. Fantastic. So make sure you can search up Kevin Burnett. You can find him. He's the one without the Mohawk. He's got the chin Mohawk. It's reversed. So Kevin, thanks again. Anyone out there, like, subscribe, share this out. Who knows where this show will go, but let us know if you have any ideas. And let me know if you think you can go toe-to-toe with Kevin on his movie quotes, and we'll do it live on the show, because why not? Next, next. Yes. Yes. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs>